Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the All Saints podcast. I'm here with my good friend, Stuart Amidon, pastor of Christchurch in Appaloosa. Stuart, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Steve. I really appreciate getting to hang out again. Uh, well, listen, um, you say again because uh, you were kind enough to host me for a, a conversation a few months ago on your podcast, and it's a wonderful privilege to return the favor. Yeah. Uh, and in, in large part because the good folks here at All Saints Presbyterian Church, most of them have no idea who you are. So, um, so to tell us their, their benefit. <laughs> yeah, well, let's put them out of their misery, shall we? Tell us a little bit about um, who you are and where you're serving and so on and so forth. Yeah, so I'm uh, Stuart Amadon. I am in Opelousas, Louisiana, which if you look at Louisiana as the boot, we're right at the ankle bone. That's where we are. Um, I've been pastoring. Well, so we planted a church there about 10 years ago. It'll be 10 years this coming September. I've been pastoring there for the whole time for the duration for about 10 years. Um, we planted actually as a Southern Baptist church affiliated directly with the SBC, local associations and all those things about three, four years ago, three or four years ago, um, we began to become convicted about the scriptures in regards to, uh, pedo baptism. And so within the last year or two, we kind of have led our church through that shift. Um, we kind of started talking to them about the significance of covenant theology, um, the baptism of babies, what that means, um, how the sacraments are supposed to be ordered. Um, we didn't know that we were in the shallow end of the pool when we planted the church, but then we found out <laughs> and we kind of started going deeper and deeper and deeper and learning more and more and more. And so, uh, by God's grace, we had the vote to become dual practice, which means we practice both the baptism of babies and of uh, new believers. And we kind of leave it up to the the decision of the head of household and what they mm -hmm. want to do with regard to those things. And um, that vote passed <clears throat> with something like a 99% margin. I think there might have been one person in the whole congregation that, that didn't want to do it. So overwhelming majority was affirming towards it. Um, the church has embraced covenant theology since then. Not everybody has embraced um, pedo baptism, but nobody's expecting them to. So we were making right. space for both things and moving on in those directions. And it's been, it's been really, really good. Um, wow. It's about six years ago, the Lord, we had another child. And um, I don't know if you know this or if your listeners know this, but church planners don't make a lot of money. And so as our family continued really? to grow, <laughs> sure, I thought pastors were rich. Where does yeah. all that tithe money go, Steve? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, what about those planes that all those guys on TV have? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that all of them? I don't know. Yeah. Only work one day a week. Okay. I don't have enough time for all the jokes. So anyway, um, we started a business. Um, we started a marketing and media production company about six years ago in order to kind of help supplement uh, yeah. our family and the Lord's blessed and it's grown. And so we've, right. we've been very blessed. I'm a, so I guess you'd constitute me as a bivocational guy now, which mm -hmm. I think I don't, I don't know any pastors that aren't in some form bivocational at this point in my life. Um, but I think that's just kind of become the new norm, mm -hmm. but uh, it's been very good. The Lord's blessed and we're having a great time in South Louisiana. Great, great. Well, there's a bunch of things I'd love to just dig into there because the the thought of a church, like how big was your church a couple of years ago when you started this theological move towards Pedobaptist theology? Um, about 120 people, okay. I'd say, about 120. So not, not a huge church, but not a tiny church. Yeah, it's not like I, three families, right? Um, no. And so, uh, yeah. so, so you've got this quite significant theological shift to take and i think this is really fascinating and quite instructive for us because there's a very grave temptation where we are in the crec i think where we sort of 
we think of ourselves as, okay, we got everything sorted. And all those people over there in the Southern Baptist Convention, these independent Baptists, well, they're a little bit clueless and they're the enemy. And, <laughs> and, we, and here we sit in the sanctuary of the Lord at the top of Mount Zion, so to speak, you know. Um, and, and of course, that's, I mean, at one level, I want to say, yeah, I mean, I thank God for the convictions that he's led us to and the way that we've been blessed by them. But the, uh, the underlying issue is that this openness to, to think with grace and wisdom and thoughtfulness about perhaps quite long cherished, long held theological convictions and to reconsider things. Hmm. And then the pastoral task of leading people through that without um, people becoming unsettled or insecure or feeling uh, uh, rejected. Do you want to talk about that? How, how do you go about that task as a pastor? So there, there was a lot of, well, not a lot, but there was a decent amount of anxiety uh, systemic anxiety. Anytime you go through change, any mm. change, you could change the curtains in the sanctuary and it's going to yes. create a little bit of systemic anxiety. That's normal, especially in church life. Um, but we were very blessed in that it wasn't, it wasn't as strong as it could have been. So our, our church, you know, we planted as a Southern Baptist church, but the vast majority of our congregation was new converts. So we were, mm. They were all first generation Christians with the exception of maybe two um, people in particular who had been in the jump for longer, but, and myself included, I didn't become a Christian until I was 18 years old. And the benefit right. that we had with that was we didn't have very much of a strong association with a particular faith tradition. Do you know what right. I mean? Like yeah, I'm with you, I'm with you. Th there wasn't something that we were just dyed in the wool. We were raised Baptist uh, down here in Southwest Louisiana. We're a little bit of an anomaly because the Roman Catholic presence is so strong. That's not typical mm -hmm. for the rest of the country from what I understand. And so pedo baptism for a lot of our new converts, well, they, they came out of Roman Catholic churches. And so for them, it was like, oh yeah, you know, we used to do that. And we had to explain to them, you know, the difference we're talking about the Protestant right. form, not the Roman Catholic form, the water yes. doesn't make you holy. We had to explain those pieces to them too, but it, for us, it really wasn't too large of a shock. Now there was some, some folks who were members that were shook pretty deeply. And so the way that we just affirmed them was like, Hey, we're not saying, um, change or die. You know, right. we're, we're just saying, Hey, we want to make space for both. We want to make space for people with both convictions to come and worship together in the same church. And so far, it's been beautiful. Uh, we've had worship services when we do baptisms. So we got a new baby in the church. We baptize the baby, and then we walk over to the—we have a big um, cattle trough that we <laughs> baptize people in because we're meeting in a theater right now. It's what we got, yeah. man. It's what we got. And so, well, why not? Right. Why not? And so we'll walk over there, and then we'll and we'll do some baptisms by immersion. You know, it's a it's a— I find it to be a very a good picture, and it also helps us mm. to keep on the front of our mind. There are bigger things in our culture to fight over right now than this. There's a lot more unity that we could have inside of the Western Church and inside of local congregations. Um, and this is one of those things that we yes, can be united yeah. around. Hey, yeah. dual practice. Let's go, baby. It's easy. Yeah. Because it's fascinating. I, I think some people imagine that dual practice is a kind of, uh, what would we say, halfway house between uh, Baptist theology and conscientious Presbyterian theology. But yeah. actually, 
in my view at least, it's not that. Just to clarify what I mean, uh, we are a dual practice church. As a Presbyterian church, we're a dual practice church for the simple reason that we don't make convictions about baptism a requirement for church membership. Amen. Now, once you've, once you've said that, okay, first up, you are free to teach about baptism and the Lord's Supper, which I do, and Pastor uh, Neil and Pastor Shaw. Also, um, Pastor, Pastor Neil's been here for over a decade. Pastor Shaw's been with us for a year. Um, they teach about it as well. So you're free to teach that. And if you're wise, you'll, you'll take the opportunity when new people join the church to encourage people who are Baptists to take that time to think about their convictions and perhaps to read some new stuff. But unless you're going to make paedo-baptist views of baptism a particular requirement for membership, then you mm. are de facto a dual-practice church. Because basically what you're saying is, yes, of course you can be a member here. We'll want to keep talking with you about this issue. But we're not going to force it prior to you becoming members. Yeah. And actually, we've had... Sorry, go on. Yeah. Well, no. So if, if you put it in that light, then according to that definition, we've been a dual practice church for 10 years. Right. Because right. We, would, we would have Presbyterian members come in and be, become a part of our church. Right. right and we right. wouldn't requ- require them to be rebaptized. You know, we were right. just like, mm-hmm. hey, this is okay. And every the, the only the significant change then that happened about a year or two ago was we began offering the ordinance. Right. You yeah. know, we started so, doing so, it here. Yeah. So that's that I think is a distinct change. And and so that's where so so dual practice church is a church uh, in, in that sense that would practice infant baptism and yes. teach it, but at the same time allow members who did not and yeah. I, think, I, I want to walk a, a, a tightrope here, and you, you did it really wonderfully by your uh, awareness of the other cultural issues that are at play in the modern church and the modern world. This is not a trivial issue. You know, this is a big enough issue yeah. that, right. you know, you've taken your church for a couple of years of heart searching and soul searching and rethinking cherished convictions. But at the same time, we are living in a, a day and age where, especially in, in many parts of uh, well, actually, in many parts of the, the U.S. and the Western world, the church scene is so barren, and some denominations and churches tragically are heading um, out south um, in all the wrong ways quite rapidly, that we can't afford, for the sake of the kingdom, to exclude people, even mm. over something as big a deal as baptism. And I think mm. I felt that quite strongly for some time with um, the rise of critical social justice ideology, um, uh, various other... Uh, leftist tendencies, uh, all kinds of other liberal tendencies in evangelical and even reformed churches. We've got to find a way of saying, yeah, we think sacraments really matter, really matter. And we want to be as clear as we can in what we teach about those things. But at the same time, guys, if you're a Baptist and you just can't find a a conservative, uh, Protestant, uh, Bible-centered Baptist church that you're happy in, then come join us and we'll love to have you. And just let's keep these conversations open. Yeah, I, I think um, our pastor from our Lafayette campus, he said it really well. He was like, I don't want to make the requirements to enter the kingdom of heaven any bigger than Jesus does. Right. And I, I think that's a that's a good framework to keep it in. Is yes, what yes. we're really trying to do here is just hold the same standard as hold the same standard as Christ. Repent mm-hmm, and believe mm-hmm. and come on and we'll help figure we'll help you yeah, figure out the yeah, rest of the things yeah. after the fact. <laughs> oh, and, and that's actually a, a wonderful picture of what. Um, a number of my Baptist friends have got so right, which is that uh, 
Although I would say, yeah, they've, 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 there's something missing because they won't welcome children with water and at the Lord's table. Mm. They certainly mm. welcome children. They certainly disciple their children. They train their mm. children and raise them as little believers. In other words, they're doing, like you said, they're doing exactly what Jesus did. It's um, let the children come to me. Now, uh, that's the, <laughs> sometimes joke, it's like, that's the kind of Baptist I can really get along with. You know, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the kind of, the kind yeah. of Baptists that do oft, frequently a better job than many or most Presbyterians of discipling their children as baby believers so that by the time the kid gets to six or seven, they're making a really solid profession of faith and they're baptized mm. then. And um, th those are wonderful uh, overlapping church circles um, to walk Amen. in. I, I, I wanted to uh, pick up another thing you issued uh, that you mentioned, the cultural issues that you talked about. I, mean, I mentioned one that I've yes, done a little thinking about, um, the kind of critical social justice ideology. Are there other issues you think where in the modern reformed and evangelical world, uh, men and women are being uh, led astray in unhelpful ways or uh, and, uh, by cultural movements that are destructive. Yeah, I do. Um, so can I just, can I talk about the ones that I see prevalent in South Louisiana? Is that yeah, okay? Yeah, I do. Yeah, just go right ahead. Yeah, I'm, it's interesting I'm local oriented in my mind. And so, I, um, so here in Southwest Louisiana, we don't, we we are not raging leftist progressive um by and large at least it's not the majority i'd say mm. the the um the cultural shift has started here that's true and i but i would say it's probably more around 15% or so of the general population we're mostly blue collar white collar typical good old boy conservative here right but but one of the things that we do have that's very very prevalent is the um is the church as service model maybe that's a bad way to describe it maybe a better hmm. way to say it would be um the the seeker sensitive model you you go to church and to receive um right. you go to church to to find your to find the particular flavor that you like the best um there are a, yes the consumeristic model yes mm -hmm. there's a lot of there's a lot of churches in Southwest Louisiana, a lot. Uh, there's a lot of churches right. in Louisiana as a whole. And with that comes uh, the temptation to tailor your church service um, rather than to the worship of the living God to something that will attract a particular type of consumer. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, totally. And, and this is not just something necessarily in the in the big evangelical seeker sensitive light show type churches like this runs across a, a lot of different things like you could there's reformed churches that could do this you know what right, i'm saying right, like right. um and i've recently uh, probably within the last six or seven months or so, or so started really understanding more and more about so i got i became a christian at 18 i've only got so many hours of seminary under my belt like i'm perpetually learning right now but I am the pastor of this church, so I got to get to it. <laughs> uh, but I'm becoming more and more convinced about the, the proper orientation and order of worship being towards the Lord. And he has laid out the way he wants his services to look. Uh, it's not a consumeristic assimilation platform for new members. It is a worship service towards him for him um, and that orients our hearts towards him. That's the ultimate uh, end goal. And so right. what we deal with here in, in our cultural issues is 
churches that are more oriented towards the assimilation of visitors. And as a result, we are doing Christendom as a whole in South Louisiana a great disservice hmm. because we allow people to church hop back right. and forth very easily. So, like, for example, somebody can move from one church to another church and they simply become a member. There's not an interview process. There's not a call to the previous pastor. There's not a formal recommendation by letter, which is something that the Southern Baptist churches for a long time did very well. Right. Is that the previous right. church would write a letter of recommendation for that person to move on mm. to a new church. Nothing like that exists anymore. You just get a new member to walk into your door and then they're there. Right. We are we tried our best to not do that. And if they're coming from churches yeah. that are sort of like-minded churches that I would, I would constitute as like a Jesus's true church. Um, I, I tried as best I can to touch base with those pastors to get mm. to know the story on the person as well as I can. But there's so, there's not a lot of them. There's not a lot. You know, I, <laughs> so that's one difficult. of the things I, I couldn't agree more. It's one of the things that absolutely fascinates and slightly bewilders me that so from few, <laughs> No, not just that. There's lots of things that bewilder me because I'm from England, but um, that's another that's another podcast. Um, uh, but the 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 number of pastors and churches that just don't do anything like that, yeah. and so every yeah. time somebody wants to join All Saints, uh, we will get in touch with the pastor of their previous church. Now, sometimes Amen. people come and they've they've actually not been at a church. Well, okay, fair enough. In that case, there's nobody to get in touch with. Sometimes sure. people come. And they've been doing a kind of church hopping thing, perhaps for a number of years. And, and I, I always feel like I feel bad for them because they clearly feel a little bit embarrassed sometimes that there's not somebody that they can point to. But nonetheless, yeah. we want to get in touch with someone. And there's, a, yeah. there's so many reasons for doing this. Partly, it's just the point of principle, showing reverence for the church of Christ, which is bigger mm -hmm. than us. Amen. And to not do that is what sects do when they imagine that their little part is actually the whole. Yes. But there's also, frankly, the pragmatic and pastoral element where yes. you're, you're not yes. helping people if you, if you don't, don't know. Go, yeah, if you don't know, you don't go to their pastor and say, hey, um, uh, is there anything you'd like us to know about before we accept these people into membership? And, and yeah. they say, yeah, we've been working. You should ask uh, John or Jenny about such and such a pastoral issue. And it's like, oh, actually, yeah, they did, they did hint at that. Um, and you go back and it opens up a conversation. And my experience has been universally, actually, at All Saints, is that new members here are really grateful, uh, or they seem grateful. <laughs> Maybe mm -hmm. they're surprised initially, but they seem grateful that pastors, their previous pastor, and we care enough that it's like, no, we're not just getting you in because you'll fill a pew on a Sunday morning and make us feel good about ourselves. We're glad you're here and we want to serve you, which means right. that we need to hear from your previous shepherds who also we have need the Spirit to, of God. We're responsible and will be judged according to the state of your soul at the end of all things. And we take that right. job seriously. Yeah. yeah no, and if, if yeah, the role absolutely. of the church is to also equip the saints for the work of the ministry, mm -hmm. you got to yeah. know how they're doing. Yeah. And that yeah. includes where they're coming from and the story and, and how they got to where they are right now. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and the, the, positive stories you hear as well um it's it's just great to hear uh the commendation of people from their former pastors who say mm. you know, how servant-hearted they've been um uh and and sometimes their former pastors will call attention to gifts and qualities that they have that they're too humble to point to themselves mm. and mm. uh it's just such a blessing um it really yeah. is and 
Uh, yeah, the, the the worship point as well is fascinating. Just last Sunday, uh, Jeff Shaw, one of our pastors here, um, preached a sermon about his introduction touched on um, the the wrong kind of seeker sensitive and the right kind of seeker sensitive. So mm. the seeker sensitive that is gerrymandering the form of our worship to meet the consumerist desires of the, the majority. Yeah. Well, that's backwards and upside down, but the, the right. right kind of seeker sensitive where he was preaching actually from the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter one. And you look at all the, the, the women in that list and all the ways in which they would have been outsiders or had been wronged by the people of God. And it's this catalog of, you know, these are the sort of people that it's tempting for us not to want to welcome to our churches. Mm. And yeah, I, I found it really stirring. I was talking to my uh, one of my daughters afterwards, and she, she said it was it, it was really really gripping because you realise that this where Jesus came from. This is uh, Jeff's point. Where Jesus came from shows us the kind of person he's come for. It's very deliberately mm. crafted mm. in that way. And mm -hmm. so it's mm -hmm. so ironic if we succumb to this double temptation. First thing we do is we we dumb down our worship so that it's as undemanding as possible, seeker sensitive style. And then when actual mm. needy people come, actual sinners in need of uh, sanctification and redemption come, we're not welcoming enough to them personally. Right. We want to do right. that precisely yes. the other way around. And yes. um, yeah, it's encouraging to hear you've got the, um, uh, that experience and conviction. I, I wanted to ask you about something else you said as well, because I think, perhaps to a certain degree is reflected around here. Uh, you're from conservative Louisiana. Yes, sir. Right. Yes, sir. Now the, the, we vote red every presidential election, no matter they, what they, they, they color you in before <laughs> they even start the counting. Right? <laughs> that's right. They're um, like, we don't need those numbers. We know, yeah, we, we, we know, know what's going to happen. Yeah. That's unfortunately right. that's it. Anyway, let's not go down that route of coloring in things in advance. Um, but I, I, I think there's probably an extent to which, that's not so true here, especially in Dallas. We're in Fort Worth. Fort Worth is more conservative than Dallas in, on lots of metrics. But it's not quite so true here because we're an urban context as well as a, a, a rural and semi-rural one. But there is some of that. And so I, I don't think, I mean, let's be honest, the, the next great threat to the CREC, our I want to talk about your relationship to our denomination at some point in a second as well. But yeah. Um, the, the next great threat to the CREC is not going to come from left-leaning progressivism. Right? Because people who, um, we, we get opposition. They're not coming. Right. But we, we get opposition from outside, but we don't get people inside being drawn away into that kind of um, ideological or political or theological um, strand of, of life. Because people will just leave. It's just too uncomfortable. Like we're, we're the mm -hmm. conservative reform denomination. What I wonder if we have to watch out for is when we're within our own communities, people are looking for ways of being forthright, uh, principled, strong-minded, conservative reformed Christians. And there are lots of very loud, very shrill, very aggressive, very shallow and superficial versions of that in social media contexts and online. There are, there's, there's no end of um, 
subscription only Facebook groups and other uh, men's groups that will teach you true masculinity. You know what I mean? And sure. I think, I wonder if, um, if this is not about punching right as well as punching left. It's about driving through the center of the scriptures. That is to say, staying on the right path. And mm -hmm. I, I wonder if one of the temptations, let's take one example, the masculinity, uh, that cluster of a cultural concerns. We live in a highly, highly anti-man culture, uh, both yeah. with all the gender fluidity, sexual fluidity, and also just the the third and fourth wave feminism that's still present in our in our world. And in that context, guys in the CREC don't want to be like that. You, you don't tend to find men in the CREC who are tempted by that. But what they're looking for is a vision for godly masculinity. And there's mm -hmm. no end of people out there who are ready to sell them one. And <laughs> I, I'd, I'd be interested to hear if you've seen that kind of, the sort of red pill addiction a friend of mine, Larson Hicks, calls it, the, the that kind of cultural challenge within your church and the broader community. So it's not, it's not very, it's not as present here with mm -hmm. us. Like what uh, in, in our local context, I find that I do need to punch left more often to help steer the ship a little more central based on where we are mm -hmm. because we are louisiana is a very red state but we are in a blue town if you look right, up Opelousas, yeah, yeah um it, it it's a it's a little bit different but we are country democrats in this area you know right. predominantly um we are i think uh you commonly refer to them as dixiecrats which means well, well, I wouldn't probably refer to them as that. I've never heard that word in my life. That's interesting. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, there you go. There you go. And they got a new one. Um, but they are socially conservative. Right. right. But they vote. Um, they'll typically vote blue more and more. Now, in the coming generation, in the generations that are coming up, there's more of a progressive influence and a progressive leaning, which I would chalk over mostly to the influence of the internet and the digital age. Um, but I, I don't really find the need of building any barriers between any of our people mm -hmm. and the and the more christian masculinity movement just right. yet right ask me again in two years let's do this again in two years yeah. and you can ask me that question again and i'll let you know if anything's changed but that's also because louisiana is notoriously behind in trends mm -hmm. like that's just normal for us as a as a people we're typically two to five years behind on everything you're making it so, sound very attractive you know <laughs> can i please go somewhere that's 150 years behind all the stupid trends can, can i do that <laughs> it's just um well we're so you know we're country people down here we're not connected to a lot of the closest major metro is an hour east of us and it's the state capital and even I don't think they're caught up on whatever's going on in the world right, necessarily. Right. So we don't we don't really deal with that too much locally. I see it online like crazy because I'm connected right. to some yeah, national networks, and I, I I network through nationwide organizations um, more on the digital space because that's just easier to do, and then my local connections are local. Um, but I, as far as that stuff like stuff like that happening here, I don't see it that much. Not in this mm. region anyway. Not That's yet. Interesting. I, I find I, my guys, so like to speak to the men in our congregation specifically, 
we just woke up in the last three or four years to the idea of covenantal theology and a patriarchal oriented household, like right, right. really strongly woke up to that four years ago. Right. Very good. So there's not like a looming threat yet. We're still waking up, you know, right, okay, but I could okay. see in two or three years needing to shepherd. Hey, Hey, not that, not that far, not that far. Come back over here, guys. Yes. Uh, potentially. Well, and it's, and it's not even, I mean, it's very perceptive of you to put it like that with the, the recognition of the kind of inbuilt cultural lag that it's not even too far. It's just the wrong kind. I mean, like, so some, hmm. some guy who identifies um, Christian masculinity with the kind of cheap chest thumping secular version where you can pay a thousand dollars to go away for a weekend to get muddy and shouted at. It's like, um, <laughs> like that, that's nobody not down here is doing that. Right. That's not too far. That's just completely crackers. And it's not too much of a caricature, which is, um, yeah. And, I, th I think the, yeah, the, the difficulty is in some ways that always the real thing is harder, longer term, more costly. Hmm. Like, so classic hmm. example, like a, a man, a man who's newly married and first kid on the way, who's, who's trying to figure out what, what being a, a hard Christian man, a mature, solid, strong Christian man looks like, we'll have mm. plenty of opportunity to show that at two o'clock in the morning over the next few months. Yep. Because that, that's where the, and then at six o'clock in the morning, when you've got to get up and go out to work on four hours sleep, because you've been, you know, helping your wife with whatever it is she needs help with. Um, that's where Christian manhood, one of the many places where it's really put to the test and, and where Christian men have an opportunity to shine. And I think one of the things we need to do is to try and help people to see like that is masculinity. It's not, it's not like, okay, I've got to do this because the kid is squawking at me. Now, how do I go and become a man? How do I go and display yeah. Christian godly masculine strength and leadership? That is yeah. it right there. And there's plenty of opportunities in, in um, marriage and family life and in the workplace to show that. I like to, um, when teaching on biblical masculinity, I used, I like to use the etymology of the word husband, like husband, its origination was housebound. And it meant <laughs> literally you were, you were bound to this family. You, yes. you were laying down your preferences and your choices. And I'm starting this household, this family with this woman, and I give myself to it. So that's, that's the orientation and the idea there. Oh, wow. So. I, I find that to be very helpful whenever yeah. you're thinking through that's terms worth of what it means to be a man. <laughs> that's worth the price of admission, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> I, I never realized that etymology. And that's fascinating. It's bound to this house in the sense of household. That's fabulous. Mm -hmm. I like that. I'm going to steal that from you. Nobody or saints. You can have remember. It. No charge. <laughs> um, talk to me about the, the, the cultural, I don't want to say distinctives, but you, you gave, a, gave a picture fleetingly a few minutes ago of and you slightly um, – uh, uh, I can't think of the word, how to frame it, you know, country people, you said, or, or that, that's not quite mm. the phrase you used, but you know, yeah. okay, it's a rural community or albeit yeah. in a, in a blue, blue town where the church is centered, but a lot of the people coming from the rural community, what mm. are the strengths or some of the strengths you think of that culture? You're, if you're a few years behind the crazy curve that's hitting the um, more sophisticated, quote unquote, elite urban centers. What are the things that you see among your congregation that you think that's a real strength? We've got to hang on to that. There's a lot of resolve um, for, <laughs> for people who are from our area who were born here. 
they're very uh, resolved in the particular works that they're going to do. Hey, I, this is my job. I'm going to do this. Um, and they move in that direction well. And I noticed that we have a lot of transplants too, who've moved from um, different parts of the country and at different areas to come down here uh, for different reasons. And and we see the people that are from here, from the deep south, by and large, have this innate, built-in, high-powered work ethic. Hmm. Uh, it's something about the deep south Cajun culture. Um, now the Cajuns, you know, they were displaced here uh, originally from Canada and they either survived or died. And Southwest Louisiana living in the swamps um, 150, 200 years ago was a picnic for no one. Uh, mm. They were surprised. Right. In fact, some of the first missionaries that came down here to try and spread the gospel to this particular community, the, the local women would say, your wife's too skinny. She's not going to make it down here. <laughs> It was a very point blunt, like oh, she's, wow. she looks too frail. She's not going to survive. She's not going to make it. Yeah, it, it was a very hard-nosed culture. Now that um, can have its problems, you know what I'm saying? Right, like you, right. become, you become married to the job and not to your wife. You become oriented only around work. Um, you begin to kill yourself, and we've seen that happen too. But some of the strong benefits that we've seen is a resolute, uh, work ethic in the people that are here. They're right. they're ready to get to work and they work hard and they do well. You're painting a picture of um, the kind of, of elements of the kind of culture that I think it will be very good for us here at All Saints to um, self-consciously have in our minds. Mm. I think I've been tremendously blessed uh, in the, the years I've been here. And, um, and one of the things that made the move here appealing we moved here in 2020. Um, one of the things that made it appealing to be a part of this community was the um, that kind of resolve. I think that, that's actually a really good way of putting it. Um, that there is that is, there's a Texan version of that among the men whom I got to know, particularly the men I got to know. Um, it stands out to me among the men I got to know before I moved here, and then I've seen it and come to admire it among others um, since. Uh, in the time I've been pastoring here, and, it, and it, it is, but it's something that's so easy to lose. You can lose that in a generation. You can even lose it in five years, right? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, work, work hard with your hands that you may not be a burden to anybody. Amen. You know, th th yeah, there's and, a, and we have um, we have the opposite problem. <laughs> so work hard with your hands, and I will never be a burden to someone. You know, they uh, right. there is that orientation here as well. The I, I am going to be independent, even mm -hmm. if I can't do it, even if things are falling apart around me, I will not ask for help. Like there's right. that there's that piece that goes along with it as well. You know, so you kind of have to I, I find that's that's some of the shepherding that I have to do as well. It's, it's the uh, hey, guys, yes. if you don't work, you don't eat, you don't eat. But um, you should ask for help. Yes. Yeah. You need help right now. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> some, sometimes people do work and they still can't eat unless somebody yeah. helps them right it's yeah it, it doesn't always work the other way around um, right uh i hinted earlier um you should tell us a little bit about your um relationship with the crec such as it is you're, you're not a crec yeah. church at the moment and uh, and but um to tell us what your your thoughts are about that or what, what you feel able to share about it yeah so you know we became a dual practice church we were planted mm -hmm. as sbc became dual practice with baptism and um the sbc let us know 
hey, you have to find a new home, which, yeah, you know, yeah. that's Very understandable. Good. They have certain convictions. And so that's great. But we simultaneously recognize we don't want to be independent. We think that's a bad idea. We want to have some type of affiliation, some type of oversight, um, access to uh, like-minded folks. And so we're trying to navigate and figure those things out. So I invited um, Pastor Toby Sumter to come down and mm. preach at a men's event for us. I can't remember, maybe two years ago or something like that. And I was telling him the story about the church and how we got where we are and all those different things. And he said, oh, well, we have um, CREC council coming up in, I don't remember when it was. Um, would you like to yeah, come? Come along. And uh, I thought, oh, okay, great. So my wife and I went up to council got to know you and a few mm -hmm. other guys um, that were there, like Rob Hatting, who's down the road from me in Sulphur, Louisiana, uh, Randy Atwood, uh, I'm sorry, Randy uh, Booth and Randy Roy Booth, Atwood, Atwood, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah get the Randy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still working on all the names. Got to meet a handful of guys and was really impressed um, mm -hmm. by everybody there. And so I, I think um, it would be a natural fit for us. Now I'm not, we're not moving fast. Mm. Um, we're not jumping headfirst into something, you know, we're going to take our time and move everything slowly and, and make sure that we bring people with us in a transition. But as far as the options that exist out there, this one seems to make the most sense, yeah. uh, an alignment with an organization such as the CREC. Yeah. I like what you said again about the not moving fast. There's, there's, there's a sense, I think that we as pastors have to model in the way that we shepherd our flocks, mm. what we want to encourage the men and women in our churches to display in the way that they live their lives and shepherd their own families. If, mm. if we don't want guys to change their minds 15 times a day and to be flightily jumping around from one fad to the next uh, on social media all night, then we have to not do that either. We have to right. uh, make haste slowly, uh, think things mm. through. Um, you know, rather than saying 5,000 ill thought through things, say three more definitive, careful, thoughtful things, give people time to think and reflect and, and to mm. create mm. convictions that will last. Um, mm. we, we sometimes have, again, it's back to the people joining all saints. Sometimes we have people who show up and they, 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 they whirl in like a tornado through a melon patch and they want to know whether they can join, you know, on Tuesday and have their kids baptized the following Sunday. And, and I, I, I want to say, look, I, I, I really want to harness that enthusiasm. And I'm the last person on earth who's going to be turning people away. We want, we want to welcome you. We just want to make sure that you're happy here before you, before you settle right. down and, and come and get to yeah. know us. I, I think it's, it's wonderful yeah. here. And I'm pretty sure that everyone who's a member here would say the same. Otherwise, why would they be here? Um, right. And yet at the same time, uh, we want to give people the opportunity to, in effect, not to break their membership pledges in the process of joining, but to display yeah. the kind of maturity in that process that we want to see them grow towards as members of the church here. Yeah, we've, we've done the same. You know, we'll have folks come in their first time visiting the church and they'll say, where, where, when's the next membership? Well, I want to join. Can How I, I, can I join this Sunday? Yeah. You know, and I'm like, yeah. that's not, I tell them the same thing. I'm like, just hold on. Just 
give it a couple of months, hang out with us for a little while. And we do membership based on class. So, and we only offer the class, I think about once a quarter. So about four times a year. So it works right. out great. Yeah. So you can just feed people into that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We just say, go to the class. It starts on this day yeah. and then you'll yeah. learn more and then you can come along and do the next, do the next steps as they come up. Right. Um, great. great. That way they don't make those rash decisions again, but that's part of our context too, that consumeristic uh, religious culture that we kind of have mm -hmm. down here in South Louisiana. We're, we're trying to work against that. Um, but still while building easy accessible on-ramps for people yes. to come in yes. and, and be a part of the church like that tension you were talking about there's there's the seeker sensitive bad and then there's the the hmm. good aspects like i don't want to i don't want to make the door a different shape than jesus did i want to be able to allow people to come in while being aware of our cultural setting yeah. and and trying to think of ways that would be helpful to bring them in yes I, it strikes me as well how frequently uh, invisible and costly the actual challenges turn out to be um we yeah. <laughs> just I'll, I'll illustrate this in a way that will make sense to all saints folks and i know it will to you as well Stuart. but we, we we just um went through a deacon nomination process and out of that we got two guys who we're going to recommend to the church plant in granbury that pastor neil uh, is um is uh, going to be leading in january but we we have recommended them to them we got four uh, uh, nominees who received a resounding positive vote uh, here for the Church at All Saints. So that's great. We're going to go from four deacons now to two deacons because two of them are moving away and then back up to six, which would be great. Now, those six deacons, the four new guys in particular, um, they are discovering that there is a ton of stuff to do and most of it's <laughs> invisible. Um, the, the, you know, the, yeah. the deacon work that people see is the tip of the iceberg. And yeah sometimes it is relational and yes. it's, it's not just deacons i mean uh, churches really thrive when you have mature uh family uh husbands and wives and mature families who are helping and shepherding those who mm. need help single mums um mm. guys who are struggling with mental health issues guys who are struggling mm. to find employment mothers who feel overwhelmed by three under fives you know Churches flourish when you have those that network of relationships within them, mm. um, and it's it's costly, it's sacrificial um, to be there for for people who join the church and have those kinds of needs, and that's what that's what we're here for. You know, that's um, that is the Christian culture that the gospel creates. That when it permeates a church, is really really fruitful, and it causes the church to have this sort of internal stability about it. It's not just mm. we're united because we all sit in the same building and, and watch the, the same uh, performance on Sunday. It's mm. we're actually organically connected to each other in our relationships and we're growing mm -hmm. together and uh, patching up each other's weaknesses and so on and so forth. Amen. Um, Amen. Uh, looking ahead to 2024, well, one other question I wanted to ask you, are there, are there things on your pastoral or teaching radar that, um, uh, keep you awake at night or that, <laughs> that you feel able to share with us? <laughs> yeah, there's, I mean, yes, there's always. <laughs> <laughs> really? There's always those. I thought you were going to say no. And at that point, my bags are packed. And I'm, <laughs> I'm joking. I'm not leaving. No. Here, there's, there's always, there's always things for us uh, that uh, cause a, a degree of anxiety. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I would say over the course of the next year, one of the couple of the things that you you referenced before the third and fourth wave uh, feminism, mm. that was a big teaching hurdle for us to get through about two or three years ago. Um, right. For us, for us to be able to talk about a patriarchal orientation of the household and the institution of the church um, at large in its hierarchical structures, mm-hmm. that was that was tough. Um, being that we came from, I, I don't have a better word than this, but more of a squishy church planter yeah, yeah. Um, vibe before then to be leaning more into a, a strong masculine headship. That was, that was tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, we just went through the uh, baptism teaching series. You know, that was, that was tricky. Um, we just went through a, a lot of teaching and instruction on uh, education and conflict um, and the orientation of the church to the world around us and, and when and how to fight and when it's appropriate and when it's not, you know, all, all right. those different things. That was tricky. Um, as far as what's coming up for us in 2024, I think one of the largest teaching series that I'm going to be going through that, that does seem a little bit like Leviathan in front of me is the proper application of God's law um, in, in the life of the believer. Now that's oriented more in our Sunday school class. Our Sunday school class is very informal. Like we have some, um, we do some teaching. There's a lot of time for questions. People engage. They can um, freestyle a little bit if they'd like to. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, but I see that as being something that is going to be. I, I've I've started going through it in that we had a ten week or eleven week or twelve week long series that we just went through the Ten Commandments, and that was very helpful for people. Right. Right to believe the commandments themselves and not the tra- the traditions that we've kind of turned the commandments into. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but now that application there's as a result of that, I think I've gotten a lot more questions. Mm. Um, but what, what about, what about these statements from the Bible and how do we, yes. how do we apply this from Leviticus into our lives? And what does this yeah, mean now? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so I've got that mountain um, off in the distance. That's seeming like it's going to be, it's going to be a fun thing to deal with. It's going to be fun watching you <laughs> climb that. Yeah, right. I, you know, I, and, I would love to get um, get you back in a couple of months because I had a question on exactly this come in by email from one of our congregation members just like a few days. Oh, really? Ago. So he had a question. I had a quite a specific question, and then it was a more general question: like, how, how do we apply and appropriate the Old Testament law in the right kind of way? And I think there's probably a suspicion there that the the moral, ceremonial, civil distinction, though it might have something in it. It's not a distinction that arises immediately from within the text, so it's not going to solve our problems for us. Um, and you've you've got to find a way of articulating how the law is relevant to us and what yes. the law is. I mean, even the word "law" itself is misleading, probably in this context. So, hmm. can, can I can I get you back in a couple of months and we'll talk about that? Yeah, that would be I've a lot made of fun, a note actually. of that question: the proper application of God's law in the life of the believer. And that presumably that's <laughs> I mean for you you guys that's coming out of a um, it's a holdover of sorts from your previous life as an SBC church yeah. where people have a yeah. certain perspective on the law and then they're seeing you apply yeah. um, the Old Testament scriptures in relation to our covenant relationship with God and then they're saying, yes. well, hold on a second. Yeah. If that's true, what, yes. what about this and this and this, right? Right. That's exactly what it is. So it's a, it, I would call it, we, at no point were we a dispensational church, but we were functionally dispensational right, right. In, a, in our 
in our life. Dropping the Bible into and so church. to shift from that to a covenantal understanding of the scriptures and theonomic uh, covenantal applications of all of the Bible, then that brings up a lot of questions really mm-hmm. fast. And so I, I'm very blessed, you know, I, as a pastor, I love it when people are like, what does this mean? Or, or how do I do this? Right. And sometimes I have to tell them, I don't, I'm not sure yet. <laughs> right. Ask me again. And Ask me again. Let me go, let me go read some books and I'll get back, back to you. Well, I, I, I'd love to sit down and um, maybe we can talk. And if I, I put a note in my to-do list to call you in um, two or three months time, and um, if, if I can get some time from you, we'll we have a conversation about that because I know there's some folks here who'd enjoy it, and it'll be a good resource for us to have if to have you and Absolutely. me bouncing around and hear hear your thoughts in particular on that. I'd love All to right. do that. That'd well, be a lot of fun. All right. Well, um, I think that'll do us for now. Thank you to those of you who've been listening all the way to the end or watching to the end. This um, podcast is likely to come out sometime between Christmas and New Year, in which case, uh, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you all. Um, thank you to my guest, Pastor Stuart Amidon. It's been great to have you with us again, Stuart, and we're looking forward to next time. And um, to all of those of you who are watching, the Lord bless you. And bye for now. Bye.